Good morning. It's a joy to be uh, at the church with Bethany Grace Fellowship. It's always a, a blessing to come and be greeted and loved, and uh, it's such a joy to be with you guys this morning. And uh, uh, I was happy to have, of course, have Karen with me and my uh, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law with us this morning, worshiping the Lord with you guys. And we talk much about uh, the churches that stand with us in prayer and support. And I think it's a neat opportunity on this trip for them to have a, a, a taste of that love that we receive, that partnership that we receive uh, to be in the ministry together. So, uh, so, Joy, thank you so much for welcoming back again this morning. Uh, you know, uh, but a couple of months ago, I think uh, Steve uh, and I, we chatted about uh, opportunity to come and share God's word with us this morning. And... Uh, and so we kind of, you know, exchanged some emails, and, and then lo and behold, I got that email about what my text will be, because I know you all are going through the book of John. And uh, so, so we, we, uh, we, I got that email. <laughs> so he sends this email, and then uh, the next thing I know, like, oh, okay, are you kidding? This is, this is the passage that we're going to do this morning. But anyway, this is in the Word, so we need to study that. We need to kind of understand what this is all about. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, and I'll explain to you why I had a chuckle when I got that email as I go forward on this one here. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's go to John chapter 7, uh, <clears throat> and then we'll, we, will, uh, we will go to... Uh, <clears throat> Chapter 7, verses 53, all the, all the way down to chapter 8, verse 11. You know, it's one of those things, when, you, uh, when you're at a camp, uh, when you have all these children standing, you know, in, sitting in front of you, and especially when you're trying to read the scripture, I'm of a habit, and as soon as I say the scripture, some child, some kid, some camper will quickly open up and start reading. So I can't be asking you guys to read, so follow with me as I read the passage for us this morning as we ask the Lord to open up for us. John chapter 7, verses 53 to verses chapter 8, verse 11. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his fingers on the ground. And they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first one, first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. 
And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now sin no more. It's an interesting passage. I say that interesting is because right off the bat, i got to say this. If you, as you see the scriptures, it is a double bracket uh, that is indicated in this passage. And, and most of our Bibles that we use today will indicate that with a double bracket and explain a footnote saying that this passage uh, is not found in the original manuscripts. So my time this morning is going to be in two folds. I'm going to have about 10 minutes or so talk about why there is this debate or controversy on this particular passage. I feel like I believe this is an important thing for us to kind of have a small wrestle with that, that thought there for a, sec, for a few minutes and then transit into what I believe God wants us to walk away from learning from this passage as well. As I said, right off the bat, there is a, there is a debate. There is a debate. Did the, did the Apostle John wrote or write John chapter 5, verses 53 to chapter 8, verse 11? Or is this story of the adulterous woman forgiven by Jesus a later uninspired insertion to the text? That's a debate that, that the scholars over the centuries have talked about this particular passage. This is because, as, as I said earlier on, many original manuscripts, Greek manuscripts, do not contain or do not include the story of the woman taken in adultery. And so that poses a question for us. So how are we going to navigate a passage like this where there is a debate on this matter? Let me just give you a very brief summary, uh, very brief summary details about this debate. From an external study that the scholars find, that the scholars indicate that the Greek manual show fairly clear evidence that this passage was not part of the original part of the book of John. Now again, because it's a Sunday morning service, is about 35 minutes long, scholars have invested their lifetime trying to dissect this, this debate. And in fact, their scholars even today as we speak are involved in trying to discern the debate and how they can come about, come out, out and, and stand on a particular position. But the internal study, as you look at this passage itself and you compare it to the rest of the book of John, the evidence shows that the language used in this particular passages varies from the rest of the book of John. Just to list a, just a couple of them here. For a case, for example, John never refers to scribes in the entire book of John. But however, we find that in this passage that we just read, where it talks about scribes and Pharisees have come and brought this woman to Jesus Christ and, and, and trying to question the Lord here. And it is also there about 13 other words in this passages, the passage that we read that are not in the, is not found in the other aspect, other parts of the book of the Gospel of the John. So internal study and the external study indicates that there is a reasonable conclusion that one can come, that there is a debate and there is a conclusion that this passage may not have been originally inspired. However, but because there is a, the theme that runs through this passage that we just read, that theme of encountering grace, 
Of course, is very clearly evident in the, in the entire New Testament. So as we further go through this thing here, I just want to say a few words on, uh, you know, when you're dealing with uh, a, a questionable passage like this, one might be thinking, so how are we going to believe or depend on other aspects of the Scripture? So I want to have a brief word on the inherency of the Scriptures. The, even the original handwritten manuscripts are inherent. Those manuscripts, however, are not in existence today as we speak, as we share, as we stand this morning. So it's very natural for us to think, wait a second, if the original stuff, the original manuscripts are not in existence, how do we know what the Bible we have is indeed inherent? There's no errors. How can we come to that conclusion? Well, well, today what we have comes from thousands of handwritten Greek, original Greek handwritten manuals, scripts that we've been passed on. As I studied for this morning, I, I learned through various different sources. I learned through those studies that there were 5,801 original handwritten copies that were passed down to us as the scholars have come to an understanding that this is what we have today in the Scripture is definitely a no error in the Scriptures. One scholar, F.F. F. Bruce, puts it this way. If great number of manuscripts increases the number of scribal errors, it increases proportionately the means of correcting such errors. So that the margin of doubt left in the process of recovering the exact original wording, in truth, remarkably small. In other words, basically what he's there, they're saying is that because we have so many number of handwritten, original, or handwritten Greek manuscripts that was orally transferred over and written down for us, even if there were any small variances in the script, in the in that scripts, it was worked against that because you have so many manuscripts that were available that made it very clear that what those smalls were not what the inspired word would have been, and that's how they arrived on the book that we have in our hands today. Because of that, what is remarkable is that there's no doctrine is threatened. There's no doctrine that is threatened. If you omit this passage, particular passage that we are studying this morning, in fact, this is one of the internal evidence criticism that the scholars have used to say, if you ignore this passage and just jump from uh, chapter 7, verse 52, to chapter 8, verse 12, there's no, there's no break in the thought of Apostle John as he was writing this passage, this, uh, the book of John. Bruce further goes on to say that the variant readings about which any doubt remains among textual critics of the New Testament affects no material questions or the historic facts of the Christian faith and of the practice. And so we can, we can come to a, a, a reasonable understanding and a reasonable conclusion that because there's no variance 
of significant variance, the scholars believe what we have, that we have in our hands right now, is indeed an inherent error-free scriptures that God has given to us. God has, in his sovereignty, made provision for us. What we have is indeed his word without any error. So how do we navigate then in, 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 in light of that type of passage? And as we studied this morning on a Sunday morning, how do we navigate that passage? You know, I was asking God, look, you know, Lord, I, I knew right off the bat when I was, began to sit down and start study, I had to talk about briefly some of the, some of the uh, things that I just shared with you, some of the academic aspect of it. Because I felt like without me doing that and jumping right into extracting what is in that passage, I just felt like the Spirit did not give me the liberty to just jump in there. So I trust you, appreciate what I just shared. So as, as we, even as we see the uh, problematic issue there, but how do we navigate then, given that type of passage? How would one preach this type of passage? And I think the, menace, the, 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 the weight for that would be is the main essence of the story containing in this passage, this verses, clearly contains an encounter with grace. And that's what I've labeled our study this morning, an encounter with grace, which is displayed in the entire New Testament very clearly and very loudly. And there is no questions about that. And I just felt like it would be right way as we look at this, what we've been given, and say, Lord, how do I, how do we, what do we learn out of this? So this morning, as uh, for my rest of my time this morning, I just want to unpack what does it mean to be encountered by grace? I want us to understand a bit. So what is the question? The question would be is, what is grace? What is grace? Well, grace can be defined as God's favor toward the unworthy. In other words, as Bible puts it clearly, it is grace that is completely unmerited. There is no merit in me or in us that we should be given grace towards us. But yet God does that. And that's something we see that very clearly even in the passage that we just read. When everybody was accusing this one woman, the Lord Jesus, the author of the law himself, says, neither do I condemn you. And we'll talk more about that because there's a, later, there's a second part of that sentence there we'll talk about a little later. Grace may be defined as an unmerited, undeserving favor of God to those who are under condemnation. Paul puts it this way here from Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's grace that we should not have received it, but yet God out of his great mercy extends to you and extends to me and to us because of what he has done, has done on the cross, the redeeming work that God has done for us. 
And that's the reason we can say we are being saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as in as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. As we continue to define this, what is grace? And I just love one of the songs that Sovereign Grace has put out a few years ago. It says, thank you, Jesus, thank you. One of the lines in that song that goes like this. Once your enemy, now I seated with him at the table. Once an enemy, now seated with Christ Jesus at the table, worshiping him Together. That's grace, my friends. That's grace. And so when you look at this passage, when nobody, when, when Jesus, the writer of the law himself, says, if there's anyone who has no sin, let that person be the first person to cast a stone, there's nobody there. And the Lord Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. You know what happened right there? This woman, for the first time, encountered grace. And that grace she encountered right from the author, the giver of grace himself. And that's wonderful. That's powerful. Can you imagine? You just put yourself in the, in the shoes of that gal that, morning, that afternoon or that morning. In the morning, I believe, based on the scripture, what we just said. Can you imagine? All of a sudden, she's here, brought, brought to and put to shame in front of all this crowd. And all of a sudden, the Lord just says, neither do I condemn you. She's got to be blown away with that because that is, the, that is grace. And so, so as we define grace, when, when someone and, and one receives that grace, the impact of grace is incredible. It's astronomical. Might I add that? It's astronomical. So the effects of grace then, let me share with you a few of them. Number one, it transforms us from our past life into new life that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So one of the greatest things that happens to one who has received grace is that they're transformed from the old life to new life that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as, as, as part of the transformation, we are justified. Where it is an act of God in which he declares our sins are forgiven. And that Christ's righteousness is put on us. When God sees us, he sees through the lens of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that fabulous? When the Lord sees me, when the Lord sees you, and especially if you have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God sees you and me through his finished work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and what he has done. That's the impact, that's the effect of grace that transforms us and we are justified in the Lord Jesus Christ through what he has done. The second 
impact, the second impact and the powerful stuff that happens as a part of one receiving grace is that we are adopted into the family of God. Into the family of God. Like all of a sudden, like we look at this passage, but we just looked at it. The Lord says, I neither do I condemn you. In a sense, in, in, in as we read it, he has now, she has now just experienced grace in a way that she never imagined it's going to happen to her. When she was brought to the, 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 the temple courts that morning, she must be thinking, I'm done. This is my last day of my life. Because as the, as the law would, would call for, the law would call her to be stoned to death. And there is an error to that because what the scribes and Pharisees that try to do it, they only did a half a part of it. They didn't, they didn't brought the second person who committed in the act. So the impact of this grace is not only transformation, but that we are adopted into the family of God. Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5 puts it this way. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption of as sons. In God's fullness of time, the Lord God has sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to redeem us and to be adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters. That is a marvelous and it's a powerful thing that we can have. And as we, as we consider and as we, uh, con- you know, what are we going to walk away this morning from this passage is that as we encounter God, we are, lives are transformed. We are, as we encounter God, we are adopted into the family of God. And thirdly, as the impact of the grace of God in our lives would be that it sanctifies us and conforms us into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ in our journey as we live for Him. It is a state, sanctification is a state where we are on an ongoing basis, on a continuous basis, on a continuum term that we've been transformed day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, puts it this way, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. See, my friends, this morning, as we, as we, as we, ponder and we consider the question of grace, the impact of grace in my life and our lives, is that God begins to sanctify us. He puts us in a, in a, in a trajectory or on a path that is going to conform us into the full likeness of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through His Word, of course, and through the work of the Spirit in our lives. And fourthly, I want to share with you the impact of this grace would be is that it, it, it propels us. And I use that word intentionally, propelling, because if you have truly tasted the grace of God, it should propel us to proclaim the gospel, no matter where we are. 
No matter where we are, you look, you look at many incidences in the Gospels that we see that when, when uh, I was like this past Friday, I was teaching to my, my team on, on Skype. Every Friday I do this thing for my team. And we we're going through the book of Acts with my team. And so we were studying, we came to chapter 3, and where we, we, we find Peter and John uh, begin, uh, you know, goes up to the temple, and then they, through God's enablement, through his, God's working through them, God heals this man who has been born with, you know, inability to walk. And so what does he do at the end of this passage in verse 11, I think, or verse 10? It talks about this man began to jump and leap and proclaim. See, when one experiences, when he tastes the grace of God, it should and will propel us proclaiming the gospel. And we should. Because what God has done in my life, we should do that. In fact, when Karen and I, God, when, you know, moved us in 2003, when uh, I was still a missionary with another ministry, ag- ministry agency, when God just burdened my heart, one of the questions I still remember very clearly, as if God was talking to me right there next to me, this question, you tasted and enjoying my grace, but what about the many thousands of children in India and other parts of Asia? If you have tasted grace this morning, are we, are you proclaiming him, the one, the author of grace, what he has done in your life? The fifth impact of grace would be, it perseveres and puts in this hope of seeing our Lord, our author of grace face to face one day. That God will persevere us as we walk in him, that he is going to sustain us and he's going to keep our salvation intact and present us faultless before the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 puts it this way. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? One of the greatest impact of grace is that we will be, God will enable us and God will endow in us through his word, through the working of the Holy Spirit that perceives us and preserves us and presents us faultless before his father. So that's, those, are the, those are the things that I want to share with you as, a, as an impact of the grace. But then as I said, because of the nature of the text that we're dealing with, I want, us to, I, I want to share with you a couple of cautionary observations. When you look at this passage and when the Lord Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, he wasn't endorsing sin, nor he was ignoring the sin. Jesus, our Lord Jesus, was administering grace in concert with his truth and justice. In other words, when the writer of the law himself was there, 
he knew how he gave that law. The law talks about, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 22 through 24, that if someone would get caught in the act of adultery, both man and woman should be brought and be stoned to death. Here we only find one piece of the puzzle. Of course, we know in the passage it talks about that they did that to trip him. They didn't realize that they were dealing with the author of the law. Again, they got it wrong. So Jesus wasn't ignoring sin. He wasn't endorsing sin, but rather he was administering grace in concert with truth and justice because however he has given the truth, he was administering that. The second caution thing I want to share with you this morning is that grace comes with responsibility. When Jesus was extending grace to this woman, there was a responsibility that he was tagging along with that. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a strong, you know what, I wish, I hope you will be like this. Grace comes with responsibility. To be holy as the giver of grace is holy. That's the reason he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. He didn't stop saying, neither do I condemn you. He didn't stop there. He went further. He says, go and from now on sin no more. So when, when we receive grace, it comes with responsibility to be holy, to be holy. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says it this way. The grace of God appeared with the goal to call us into holiness. See, the grace of God has appeared to us with the sole intention to call us into holiness. Call us into holiness. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing with this woman, where he was saying, neither do I condemn you, go and no sin no more. Because he was basically saying what Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 was saying. Because after all, he inspired Paul to write that, that passage. That we've been, we've been given grace to bring salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desire and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in present age. So as we look at this passage, I want us to be careful that we, we, we keep that in the context of the, the totality of the scripture that God has given to us. The grace was, is, is, runs through all through the passages through, of the book of the Bible. But that, that grace comes with responsibility. It doesn't give, like Romans chapter 1, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, the very famous that, verse that Apostle Paul talks about, that he's wrestling. 
says, May, uh, <clears throat> it goes, uh, what shall we say then? Paul says, are we going, are we continuing to in sin so that grace may increase? No. And so the wrestling that not only Paul does, if you're honest with yourself, we, you and I do that same thing too. Each day, in fact. But we've got to be reminding ourselves along the same lines what God has spoken to us through Titus, that God has appeared. When God, when grace of God appeared, he has appeared with the goal in the mind to, to make us holy because the one who is giving the grace is holy. God hates sin. So as if he's going to extend grace, he's going to expect us to change and become as he is holy. And that's what he was expecting from this woman as he was saying, neither do I condemn you. It's telling me my time is over. <laughs> but allow me to just kind of wrap up. I just want a closing thoughts here. But as the Lord Jesus appeared to this woman, life changed for her. And God, as he allows her to be changed, he also challenges her saying, go and sin no more. So even though there is considerable debate on this particular passage, whether this text should be, should belong in, in John or in the scriptures altogether, but the theme of encountering God's grace and the power of transformation is loud and clear in the entire book of the Bible, particularly in the Gospels. It's clear. No one can say, oh, I didn't get that. I didn't see that. Maybe we don't see it, but it is there. It's for us to study and, and, and pull things out of in our study to see the giver of grace. When he gives, he gives it with a responsibility for us unto godliness. Because what it costed him was incredible, Right? He gave his life for you and for me. It wasn't that cheap, my friends. So when I receive that grace, when you receive that grace, don't take it lightly, but rather take it with tremendous solemnness and say, Lord, I am, I am just so messed up. I'm unworthy. Change me completely. Turn me around. Because that's the intent of God when he appeared to us. In few a few moments, we'll be singing a song. Our worship team will be singing a song, Oh, Come to the Altar. I want you to mentally be picturing yourself in the Old Testament time, right? You know, when, because we don't do the, you know, sacrifices today, but praise God, the Lord Jesus has done away with that because this one single death and resurrection, all sacrifice has been met. Thank God for that. But yet, as we sing this song, I'm going to challenge you to picture the Old Testament times where people would bring this lamb or this you know, animal. Why? Because there was some sin in them or in the people that they were represented. And they would bring to the altar to what? To receive grace. To receive grace. I want to, I want to challenge you this morning, even as we sing that song,
I want us to as if take myself to the altar and say, Lord, work in me. Chisel away things in me that I need to be in my life. Conform me more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Let there be introspection as we sing this song. Listen to the words of the song. But along with that, I want to challenge you, my brothers and sisters, this morning. I want us to come to this altar to receive grace. To lay down our sins at the foot of the cross. And repent of those. And turn away from them and receive grace. And indeed we can say, to God be the glory because of what he can do and he alone can do. And to that end, as we do that, I believe it, it, it puts us in the right thing and say, I want to I challenge us that let us sin no more. Let us sin no more. And as we, as we dedicate ourselves, I, I believe it's the right way of putting ourselves in the right trajectory, in the right path, like Apostle Paul says to Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. He says, I'm in agony, I'm in total agony, so that you can be fully formed in Christ Jesus. But I think it should start from giving ourselves, surrendering our lives, repenting, turning from the sin, and, and submitting to the Lord for his life. Allow me to close our time in prayer, even as, as our worship team comes. Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Thank you, O Lord, for sending your son Jesus, the author of grace, in the right time to change us, to, to redeem us, and making us whole in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So Father, I pray that you would work in us a great work even as we come to the foot of your cross, the altar. Work in our lives, Lord. Work in our lives. To that end, we submit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.